Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, this is Ugo Che, and this is the Traveling Image Makers podcast, the show where we interview famous and not-so-famous photographers and discover what compels them to travel many hours and cross many borders to get the shots. I hope you're all having a wonderful time. Personally, I couldn't be happier and more excited because just yesterday here in Italy they started relaxing some of the restrictions that we've been having due to COVID. So starting yesterday, we can actually travel to many of regions in Italy. Uh, museums are open, bars are open, restaurants are open. So I'm really looking forward to traveling again and photographing again here in Italy. I'm making already making plans for next weekend. So hopefully the weather will be nice and I will be able to, to visit some place and take some photos again. And uh, I hope my guest is as happy and as excited as I am because my guest is living in Italy, even though he's not Italian. I mean, originally he's not from Italy, he's from Australia. And his name is Matt Bishop. So welcome, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, mate. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great. It's great to have you here. And it's, uh, it's great when I met you i met you on clubhouse and i learned that you were originally from australia right if i'm not mistaken and you yes. moved to italy years ago so i really wanted to have the perspective of a foreigner a foreign photographer who has moved to italy and what you have found here that is interesting to photograph and what you found different from australia or from other places and in your unique perspective on, on Italy as a photography location, as uh, somebody who was not born here. Because uh, for me personally, there's a lot of places here that they like the my backyard. So I don't think about photographing them because they're, well, it's just my backyard. You know, it, our backyard is always less interesting than <laughs> foreign exotic places, but you definitely will have a... A different perspective. So, would you just like to to introduce yourself to to our audience? Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I said you are a photographer, especially a landscape photographer, if I'm not mistaken, originally from Australia. But what 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 is the role of photography in your life? Is it something that you do full time? You have another job, and uh, how have you? What's the reason for your move from Australia to Italy? Mm. How long does this podcast go for? That's quite a long oh. story. <laughs> <laughs> we can go for as long as you like, as long as you like. Something interesting to say. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 41 years old, but um, I've lived life like, a, like I'm 80. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I um, originally left Australia when I finished university back in uh, 2002. And like most Australians do, we... When we finish university, we, we get a backpack and we travel overseas and we go and discover the world outside of Australia. And originally my plan was to to move to London and um, save up some, some pound, some sterling back then when it was quite a powerful currency and 
and use that money to travel for at least a few years around the world and, and, and go and see the world before I went back to Australia and started, started taking life seriously. And uh, the day I arrived in Europe, things changed. Um, I originally spent three months uh, backpacking through the Swiss Alps and uh, I was quite passionate about, um, about mountaineering back in those days. And to cut a long story short, after about three months of being in the Swiss Alps, I, uh, I didn't have a camera back then and I saw some incredibly beautiful scenes and I, I wish I had a camera with me. So I then moved back, I then moved to London to start working and one of the first things I did was go out and buy myself a, uh, an SLR camera. And before you know it, I, um, I met an Italian and fell in love, as you do. And after a, a year of living in London, uh, I moved to Italy with her and started my new adventure as an Australian living in, in Italy. And what do you do here, um, aside from photography, if you... Yeah, for sure. I'm um, I'm an operating theatre nurse, so oh, an yeah. instrument nurse. Cool. Yeah, I work work in the operating theatre, and I I work in the um, in the paediatric hospital in the Vatican City. And yeah, I see. so, ph photography for me is is has always been a part time passion since since I picked up the camera back then. I was just captivated by by the the different scenes um, throughout Europe. Um, mainly back then I was sort of tainting with, with landscape photography and travel photography. Obviously moving to Italy, there was so much to photograph and as the more and more I got into it, the more I realised that, uh, that I was very, very attracted to the scenes throughout Tuscany, uh, Abruzzo, the Dolomites and that passion just, keep grew, just grew stronger and stronger as, as, as time went on. And I probably didn't take it very seriously to begin with. I was just having fun with photography. Obviously, in the film days, it was very hard to access the information that we have available today. So uh, probably about the last five or six years, I've taken it very, very seriously. I'm not a full-time uh, professional photographer. Mm -hmm. I uh, do it on a part-time basis. I still have my, my day job, but um, a lot of my... Spare time is taken up enjoying landscape photography. As with many of us, I guess we we start with photography as a passion and then turns into a, a side gig, and for some of us, it turns into a full time job. And I know that you, I mean, I've seen your your website, and I know that you do cell prints there. I looked at some of your photos, which mm -hmm. uh, especially the landscape one, they, they strike me as uh, as pretty unique and different from the style of landscape photography that is common these days. Uh, very, mm. I like the muted tones, those foggy scenes, very, very nice, very different from, from a lot that I see around, which tends to be very much on the colorful side of things. Uh, mm. and, I, yeah. and I like that. But Thank besides you. selling prints, I would just also like to mention the fact that you lead workshops, right? Do you want to just give us a little... Uh, a few details about the workshops that you lead, where and, and when. Hopefully, guess right now it's things are a bit 
uh, on the side <laughs> with COVID yes, and everything. Yes, it certainly <laughs> is. Yeah, currently at the moment, um, yeah, like like most photographers around the world, the workshops are um, had to put to the side for now. Um, I do the odd workshop in um, in Val d'Orcha, which you know mm-hmm. well, which is in Tuscany, the typical rolling hills of Tuscany. I collaborate with another photographer there from Germany, um, which is which is beautiful. I know the area very very well, as I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an amazing amazing location, and you know all those typical post postcard scenes that we that we know when we see images of, of Tuscany. And from there, basically, my main my main profession, as far as as, uh, as workshops go, is is, uh, is Patagonia. And uh, I I ventured on to my first workshop in Patagonia in two thousand and nineteen, which actually seems like it was a lifetime ago now, with everything we've gone through due to COVID. Do you already have uh, dates for the next workshop planned, or mm. still on the? No, still... I'm I'm mm. I'm gonna prioritise the fact that I think that we all have to be sensible at the moment, and um, we have to let this thing sort of dissipate over time. Um, working in the healthcare scene, I understand the yeah. the the gravity of the situation. That, that is occurring worldwide and I don't think it's going to go away as quick as what people do. Um, I would hope to be able to, to do a workshop in, uh, in April next year. Um, I collaborate with a, with a very good friend of mine who has his own travel agency there and he, he does um, tourism purely through Patagonia and we're discussing whether that's possible. But for now, we're just keeping it on the safe side and... We're going to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I'm adopting pretty much the same stance uh, as I mm. was uh, saying before. Here in Italy, we just started reopening uh, some internal travel and places that we, we could not go to now are open again. So I'm mm. looking forward to at least starting welcoming people here in Italy. Maybe Valdorcia could be a place where I would like to take some people as I've taken in the past, and I'm sure you 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 think the same. Patagonia is probably something that we have to, to do with a little bit of uh, more caution. Uh, mm. But mm. yeah, our, I, in any case, you have information about that on your website. And yeah, it's all, it's all there. Well, Everything's people will just there. maybe show their manifest their interest and, and get contacted in case things reopen and you're able to organize it again, maybe April next year. Uh, mm. I, re- I really hope so. And I would love to join you there. Patagonia is one of those places that's been on my bucket list for a long time. So yeah, next year could yeah, be a it's, um, nice. Uh, it's, it's definitely a beautiful place. I mean, the workshop we do there is very different to the other, the other workshops that go to Patagonia. They usually stick to the, um, mm-hmm. You know, those scenes that, that everyone knows, uh, Fitzroy Mountain, Perito Moreno Glacier, um, Torres del Paine National Park. But um, as I said, having a very close friend of mine there, we can collaborate together and we actually do a beautiful overland trip through the Patagonian desert to get to these specific locations. And on the way, we see some incredible, amazing places that people haven't even photographed before, so... It was oh, in 2019. It was beautiful to go and see the look on the participants' faces when we took into these locations they had no idea existed. So, 
Yeah, it was beautiful. I'm really hoping we can do it in 2021. Unfortunately, this year was cancelled, so... Of course, let's hope, let's cross our fingers that we can all mm. also travel far away uh, in a few months from now. Um, mm. So let's uh, let's talk about you again, and especially your your move uh, for, from Australia to Italy. And when you mm-hmm. you said you were not really into photography, you started thinking about it when you were in Switzerland. But when you you moved to Italy, did you have any specific expectations about what to find here? Or maybe your then uh, girlfriend would tell you about uh, the wonderful places that you would find here, and uh, was were there were those expectations met? Did you discover something that you didn't expect? How was your reaction to Italy from a photographic standpoint? Oh, I had these expectations, these ideas in my heads uh, of, of scenes that I might have seen when, you know, from movies when I was a child. And um, they actually exceeded my expectations, especially places like um, like Tuscany and even certain areas in in a place like Abruzzo, which not too many people know about from overseas. Italians are very, very familiar with Abruzzo, but um, especially in Abruzzo, that's got this very medieval feeling about everything. These abandoned fortresses on the top of mountains and little tiny towns, um, amazing weather conditions, which uh, for me are very, very important in landscape photography. Um, we go to in winter, so they're more familiar. But for me, Abruzzo is like 600 kilometers away. Mm. I would have to drive all the way down there because I mean, going there with trains or public transport would take a long time. Mm. Uh, and it's not on a major tourist like, uh, I mean, if I go to, if, if I were to drive south, I would probably go to Rome and then go down south to Naples. And in order mm. to go to Abruzzo, you would have to take a left turn at some, in Rome. Or if you're going down the Adriatic coast, yes, you cross Abruzzo, but it's mostly on the coastline where yes. people typically go for to the beaches in the summer, but you don't drive, turn right to go into the interior, which I discovered recently that it's, it's really beautiful. I, I'm, as I said, I'm, I must confess, I'm not... You, you definitely... I'm sure you've been to Abruzzo more times than I've been and you know it much better than I do because I've only been there once in a photography trip. Mm. I've been to, to Rocca Calascio, which is one of those uh, yes. fortresses atop a mountain that you that you yes. mentioned. And I was I was there one one afternoon and then I went back the in the early morning for the sunrise and it was just wow. I mean, why didn't I come to this place before? Mm. It, and that, that's just, a, that's just one one spot, right? And then I was driving uh, um, along the countryside and going up and down those mountains, and uh, the landscape is fantastic. It's very it's very similar to I don't know if you know Glencoe in Scotland yeah, very well. It's it, it has a very similar um, countryside or well, countryside well alpine distinct um, landscape as as Glencoe, but Rather than uh, the lakes, you have these abandoned fortresses, <laughs> which just yeah. give it this very deep medieval feel to it, and it's uh, very attractive. There's areas even around there very close that 
you can find forests with ancient um oh i can think of the name in italian not in english god that's getting bad isn't it um beach beach trees beach beach trees trees, um that look like you walk into these forests and you feel like you've stepped out of a scene from lord of the rings um there's many many places to discover through through abruzzo that as i said not many photographers know about them and um through a foreigner's eye seeing these locations is, is quite unique because a lot of Italians just take them for granted. It's absolutely true what you said about Scotland, about Glencorn, now that I think about it. It's uh, those, uh, those mountains and those hills, which, except for certain areas, they, they have little vegetation on them, not many trees, like mm. in, in Glencoe, uh, so pastures for the most part, because that's also an mm. area where um, animal farming is... Uh, uh, how do you say in English, uh, raising animals and sheep and uh, cows on those pastures is typical, is the typical uh, occupation of the people there. So, uh, and these are not, there are some higher peaks, rocky peaks, but a lot of the, the mountains there are more rolling and uh, and mm. gentle curving, like in, in some areas of, of the Scottish Highlands, now that you... Yeah, that's the, right think about it it's absolutely true so if you want to mm. get your little bit of scotland here in italy go to abruzzo yeah that's right rather than a bee get yourself some fettuccine yeah yeah <laughs> well the food is great there also like oh yes everywhere yeah in beautiful food yep and wherever you go in italy much, you always get food <laughs> it, it, but especially in these areas is very much tied to to very specific local traditions and traditional recipes and uh and they have sheep, many sheep, so there's a lot of uh, sheep meat that is used for uh, arrosticini, right? They call them those little yeah, sticks with little, little bits of uh, goat or sheep meat, which mm-hmm. they roast on, on the fire. It's a typical uh, Abruzzo recipe from Abruzzo. So uh, Rocca Calascio is, the, is that Rocca. I think that's the, probably the, the most famous uh, spot for, with photographers at least, right? Well, yeah, because that was where they filmed that movie mm-hmm. back in the 1980s with Rutger Hauer. It was called yeah. Lady Hawk. And, um, and Michelle Pfeiffer, was it? With Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah, that's correct. And um, it's funny, the people that actually um, that actually started a bed and breakfast in an abandoned town down the bottom of that fortress saw that movie, fell in love with the destination, and they basically... Uh, took an abandoned town which was destroyed by an earthquake and they uh, recreated a small village with a little bed and breakfast and it's it's a beautiful place to stay very very popular with italians and and some foreigners too but there are many destinations like that all over abruzzo so what else do you like photographing in italy you already mentioned valdorcia the dolomites Mm. Uh, um, what's your Top location, if you were to, to name one, or a short no, list mm, of ones. Top location is very difficult. Um, it's difficult being in Rome because we don't have that much close by. Um, you know, if you're in Milan or in the north of Italy, you know, you can access, you know, areas of the Alps, which aren't mm-hmm. too far away. If you live in Florence, you have Tuscany very close. Unfortunately... Here in Rome, we don't have that much close to us. But recently, with the, the lockdown restrictions for 
for COVID. I've had to go out and discover these areas close close to Rome, and I'm quite surprised that there there is a lot of destinations that are very, very, very beautiful. We've got some lovely forests, beautiful waterfalls, and even some lovely little towns to photograph. And it's funny, since I've been photographing these destinations over the last 12 months, I've had a lot of Italian photographers asking me, where did you take that photo? Where did you go? Where did you go? Because they're probably just destinations they're so used to seeing on an everyday basis. They don't see them with that photographic eye. And I have seen them with fresh eyes and yeah, so I get a lot of messages asking me, where's that place? Where's this place? It's, uh, it's quite funny. But, um, I think the, the, part, look, the, the part of the, the Lazio region, which is the region where Rome is that I'm more familiar with, photographically mm. speaking, aside from Rome as the city, is the, the northern part of Lazio, especially the Tusha, which is the region which straddles between southern Tuscany and northern Lazio. There's a, mm. there's a number of wonderful uh, medieval towns and villages atop rocks uh, mm. and lakes uh, and, and places like that. And it's, I mean, right now that we can finally uh, cross the, the regional borders here in Italy, I mean, if, if you want to go from Rome to Valdorcia, it's what, about less than 200 kilometers, I guess. So it's not that yeah. far away. Mm. And no, going it's not too to, far. Yeah, going to, to the... Saturnia, for example, mm, which mm. is even more south than uh, and all that area, Saturnia or Pitigliano, Sorano, just uh, naming some, some places that I know are in mm. Tuscany, but they just crossed the border from Rome. And this is a, that's a beautiful area to visit. It's probably not as popular yet with photographers as Valdorcia, which is kind of a big magnet for photographers, right? You cannot go there. Uh, and not see a lot of photographers in the prime spots in, at sunrise yeah, or sunset. Look, I, I went there, um, oh, was it last year? No, the year before now, sorry, to end of 2019. Um, and so it was a few days before Christmas and I took a, a, an English friend of mine over. He came over for the weekend and um, I had to go and test out a new lens for Pentax. So I collaborate with Pentax in Europe and... Going there that time of year, so in in winter, there was no photographers around and the the atmosphere was incredible. There was fog everywhere. The rolling hills uh, had completely different patterns and it's definitely not the, the Orchard Valley that, that people are used to seeing, you know, the sunflowers and the green meadows. Um, so... Having that close by is good because I can I can definitely go there and and capture it in different seasons, which a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do so. So it's definitely high on my list of places to capture. But I think that in Italy we're very very spoiled, and I don't mm-hmm. think enough people realise that it's not just Tuscany and the Dolomites. Italy is a very small country, but it's very mountainous, and I think if you grabbed Italy and pulled it flat, it would be enormous. <laughs> it's just full of mountains. We got the Apennine Peninsula the Apennine Mountains running through Italy that give it so much character and I think there's so much more to discover in Italy that, that we don't even know is there from a photographic point of view. 
Now, just want to clarify because I realized that I said that if you go to a place like Valdorcia, it is very popular with photographers. It's it's impossible not to find photographers there. Yeah, maybe in the midwinter, it's uh, because of the harsher climate conditions. It's less uh, definitely less crowded, but don't think that it's like going to Angkor Wat in the morning. Like where there's five thousand people <laughs> around right, the small yeah. part. It's it's not like that. Yeah, you no, will meet no, other no. photographers, but it doesn't mean you have to elbow your way through a, a long. It's it's not. I mean, I'm thinking of places like Mesa Arch in Canyonlands National Park, oh, which is a very like small that. spot, and you go there two hours before sunrise, hoping to find a spot to place your tripod. It's nothing like that. It's really very easy, very possible to get good shots. Uh, I know you've got a photo on your website of the, what they call it, the Podere Belvedere, right? Which is maybe mm. the most photographed spot in uh, in Valdorcia or maybe all of Tuscany. And mm. it's, it's a location I've been there many times. And a couple of times I met a whole group of photographers on a workshop. And mm. even so, there was, I mean, the, the you go there and take that photo and there's ample space. There's a whole field where you can place your tripod left, right, and find the best angle without having to fight with other photographers. So yeah, at, don't at, imagine at the most that you'll it's... Find, no, no, no. At the <laughs> most you'll find maybe 10 or 12 tripods. Yeah. It's, never, it's never that crazy. But I think that the, the Orchard Valley in Tuscany had very big popularity in the early years of digital photography especially on social media because so many big-name photographers were taking people there. And as with most places, today we have Iceland, for example, which is probably the highest on the list of, of landscape photographers to, to go to. It's, it's the, the most popular location that people go to at the moment. And I think there was a period where there was this um, popularity of of the Orchard Valley in Tuscany and a lot of people were going there. I think that's sort of dropped off a little bit in recent years, I've noticed, um, which mm -hmm. is, which is great. I think it's good. It's good for me anyway. <laughs> and I think that's uh, that's a region that has a lot to offer. Even if you go beyond those three or four spots, as you said, right? Photographers that had a big following, especially on social media, started mm. sharing photos of those number one prime spots. But the, the region is fairly compact, but in such a compact region, it has a lot to offer if you just pay attention to it and you know where to look. And you can drive around easily, find a lot of places that you can shoot from the side of the road, find mm. different angles for, for the same spots. So there's still a lot to, to discover there and see with your own unique eye and unique perspective. That, that's what I believe. So I always love going there and maybe going back to... I've been to a few famous spots where the light conditions were not great. So I want to go back there and maybe find better light and shoot those places. But I know that wherever I go, there will be some, some angle, a little hill with a farm on top of it a little mm. row of cypress trees that are not as photographed as, uh, as the most famous ones, but they're equally beautiful. So definitely uh, a lot to discover. And especially, yeah, as I said before, the different seasons completely changes the scene of, of what you're photographing. And most people that go there travel there in, 
maybe late spring mm-hmm. through through summer. Um, after summer, if you go there, the the, the colours are incredible. The, the colours patterns are... in the rolling hills, uh, the early morning fog. When you've got early morning fog, you can create so many different scenes. And obviously that time of year, you can enjoy more your porcini mushrooms and red wine and pasta with the colder nights in front of a campfire. Yeah, Absolutely. The, the, the autumn palette of colours is wonderful. It's mm. green. Spring is beautiful and the summer too. Mm. It's very, very verdant, very green. But the palette of colours when uh, of the fall is, uh, is, is beautiful. It's those browns and different shades of brown and yellow and gray and light blue. Uh, it's just very interesting to, to look at and, and to photograph. It certainly is. I know another area that you, that you like, which is probably equally popular with photographers, if not more, is the Dolomites. Mm-hmm. which is another place that I love. Any particular locations in the Dolomites that you like to photograph? Um, unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to go back to the Dolomites as much as I have in mm. Tuscany because of the distance. I mean, yeah. it's a good eight-hour drive from Rome. Um, I've been there skiing many, many times, Um uh, for photography, I've only been there on two occasions. And look, the main area of attraction is Cortina, Cortina d'Ampezzo, which from Cortina you have at least five or six very, very epic landscape photography locations that most people know, which are beautiful destinations. Um, the Dolomites is a very grand area. It's not um, It's not like Patagonia where you have a mountainous area and it's very concentrated into a small circumference of geology. Um, the Dolomites is a very, very vast area. But in particular, I think Cortina probably offers the best landscapes, huge jagged mountains with uh, turquoise-colour lakes, Three three thousand meter dist- uh, heights, and um, that is definitely a beautiful a beautiful area to go to. And and you're lucky that these these destinations you can hike to, you can sleep there overnight because they have these beautiful mountain huts that offer three course meals with breakfast, and you can get yourself a packed lunch and enjoy the Italian cuisine and stay in stay in these beautiful mountain huts right in front of the location you need to photograph at, which is it's very attractive and it does attract a lot of landscape photographers in summer. Uh, the last time I went there was uh, probably three years ago and, you know, the destinations like um, the Trecime, which everybody mm-hmm. knows, um, Trecime has a lot of photographers that go up to that destination, but there are many, many other... not just photographers, there's... Uh... In the summer, it's really a track. Well, you're not just photographers, yeah. Yeah, Lots of hikers. But, I mean, there's a lot of people there because those landscapes are are unique and they're they're very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. I've I've got one of those mountain huts on my uh, list of places I want to stay at. Uh, It's the one that is just above Cortina. And uh, I was there in October. And I thought I might... I, I did not stay there. 
I just got up early in the morning, hiked up there from the road, about a two-hour hike. And mm -hmm. then I got there photographing a small lake at sunrise. Then I went to the hut to get a breakfast. And mm -hmm. I asked, uh, when, when are you open? And I said, we open, we'll be open until November, more or less. And then we reopen in June uh, when uh, the when the, the last snow is melted. Mm. And mm. they said, and I said, yeah, I'm, I want to come here, spend the night in the hut, photograph the lake in the morning without having to hike two hours, mm. and then spend the afternoon hiking the, the, the area around. So that, that's one great thing about the Dolomites. Uh, are, you can combine hiking if you like hiking, or you can even combine climbing if that's your thing with photography. Mm. That's, that's that, right. Uh, that's quite unique. Uh, yeah, well, unique, maybe not unique, but that's quite interesting in that respect. And you said the Trachime is a super popular place with everybody, with photographers, with hikers, but with everybody, including families, with small toddlers, with strollers. Because there's a road, you can drive up there, park your car and you're in front of the Trachime. You just literally can touch them. So they're very easy to reach. So they tend to attract a lot of a lot of people, whereas there are many, like that hut that I was just mentioning, there is no road. Well, there is a road going up there, but it's a private road. You can only go there if you're staying at the hut and they come with a four-wheel drive with a Jeep. They pick you up and they bring you there. So you're not allowed mm. to drive there with your car or you can hike up there in two hours. So while that lake is pretty, I mean, I've seen it in many photographs, but you don't, you never see crowds there. So there's mm. definitely many places like that, which require some hiking to reach. So they're not as crowded as many others. And as you said, the Dolomites are quite a, a vast region. So there's all sorts of places that you can go and discover and find even in a, if you stay in Cortina with, uh, with short drives. And others are so easy to reach that you can just take great photos from the side of the road if you don't yep, like right. hiking or if you're not able to do long hikes. The beauty of the, some of these locations that you can stay in these, these refuge huts is that uh, a lot of people do stay in them, but a very high majority of them are hikers or mountaineers that stayed in them overnight so they can access their destination the next morning after quite rested. But there's some places that I know that I've stayed in that not many photographers actually stay there. So they don't get to capture sunrise and sunset or don't get to capture the changing light throughout the whole entire day because the, ma the majority of people that do photograph these destinations photograph them while they're hiking during the day. And there's, there's a lot to, to take for granted when you can actually stay in these huts. Yeah, exactly as I was uh, thinking of doing. I said, if, if in June they reopen, I'm going to be there one weekend at least. Mm, um, I'll come and join you then. <laughs> oh, sure, I'll let you know. <laughs> of course, I'd love to. Uh, it's interesting also that you said that uh, the Dolomites are a vast region much vaster than Patagonia because I had, I mean, not having been to Patagonia, I had kind of the mm. opposite impression. That to me, Patagonia was the epitome of vastness, those vast South American spaces, 
huge planes and distances and so on, but actually appears not to be the case? Well, well, no, Patagonia is huge. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Right. I, it was more referring to the to the actual mountainous, you know, the high alpine peaks uh-huh. that many people are attracted to go to. There's there's desert canyons and, and, and open plains all through Patagonia that are that are that are everywhere. That's just that people don't know they exist. Um, the the general area that people are most attracted to go to in Patagonia is is a place. It's called the Fitzroy Mountain Peak, um, and a lot of people actually fly in to that destination. It's a very very small mountainous area, and um, it's caused by you know a glacier actually breaking and and bringing those mountains that geol- forming that geology over hundreds of thousands of years and it's only a, quite a very small area that's completely surrounded by desert um, so it's quite y- unique um, but in that area itself there isn't too much to photograph compared to what there is in the dolomites you oh, could spend you could spend months hiking through the dolomites and still not be able to capture every single mountain peak that, that it offers. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I love the Dolomites. Uh, they definitely have a lot to offer. Uh, they do, they do. The, the characteristic of the Dolomites for, for people who, at least from a geographical or geological point of view, they're characterized by those uh, peaks, which kind of tend to be isolated between valleys and so on. So mm. it's not like it's it's not it doesn't look like a continuous range for the most part. Mm. Right? Mm. It looks like those peaks which are kind of coming out of the landscape, the green landscape of the valleys surrounding them. And yeah, it's a right. huge a long series or it's like if you take a handful of diamonds and you throw them on a table, a green table, that might give you an idea of how the dolomites look like from a geological or geographical perspective and so and you can see those i mean fitzroy i've got in mind those photos of fitzroy and you typically all see them taken from the same side because maybe Mm, it's because of the 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 way that the location is is the way the geography is but with the dolomites you see a mountain like the tracime there's at least four sides that you can photograph them and they look completely different and it's very easy to go from one side to the other it's a relatively short hike for example and many other dolomites peaks are, are like that so that that's one advantage that you have there uh, definitely Lot, lots of variety in terms of uh, angles that you you can shoot those mountains from for sure which is going back to patagonia this is one of the things I how I wanted to approach my workshop there was it came from the idea of, of staying in these refuge huts that don't actually exist as much in, in Patagonia. And I decided with my friend the possibility, I said, because most people that go up to these mountain ranges, they usually hike in from the town and they're a good four to six hour hike, very strenuous hikes to get to these locations. And 95 or 99% of the people hike up during the day, take photographs during the day of those scenes they're used to seeing and then come back down. So I proposed to my friend if it was possible if we could actually set up a base camp 
up in these mountains and actually have someone up there cook for us and cook us traditional Patagonian meals and have the possibility of, of capturing more landscapes during different light and even different locations that might be harder to access that you normally wouldn't do during the day. And uh, that's what we did on our workshop. And we, we did that for four days in that one particular area. So it was it was beautiful to be able to combine that experience that I had in the Dolomites to be able to do that in Patagonia with a Patagonian style, I suppose. Yeah, that would be great. Also, I, mm. I believe that Patagonia is much wilder than uh, than the Dolomites, um, less populated. Mm. I mean, there's probably quite some tourists now, but the, probably the, the Dolomites are... They have lots of towns and villages and roads and so on. So it's not yeah. as and there are, it's it's not a complete wilderness, right? No, it's, it's, not. it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's definitely not. Um, there's, there's, there's a Patagonia lot of human is. element. Yeah, Patagonia is is wilderness. Yeah. It is wilderness, um, and you can travel for five or six hours without seeing anything. That, that has a human element in it and um, you do much very feel like you're in in the wild when you're in Patagonia. Um, it's an incredible, beautiful place that I can't wait to go back to because of that reason. Um, and when you do come across people, it's um, they're very, very welcoming, the Argentinians. Um, beautiful people, beautiful culture and... The wildlife is incredible too. The uh, the actual the animals that you can see through there are very unique, and um, yeah, it's a great place. Can't wait to go back there. Let's hope. Let's hope next year. Okay, so for people who would like to go to Patagonia with you and your friend, where where mm -hmm. they can find more information, or in other words, what's the what's your website? And my my website's mattbishopphotography.com. And you can find out, yeah, there's the information there about uh, the last workshop we did and the one that we didn't do this year. So if, uh, if 2021 goes ahead, I'll, I'll eventually put that up for people to, um, to see information about. It. Otherwise, they can drop me a line and I'll um, keep them updated if anything comes up. Sure. So. I, I hope it, it happens for you and for all of us that we can uh, start doing those things again. Mm, um, mm, mm. So it's really been great to, to have you here on the show today. We think we covered quite a bit of ground, literally or figuratively, in terms of locations yeah. and so on. Well, I would love to do it again and talk sure. more about some, some Italian or uh, maybe Australian locations. Yeah, maybe Australia. Yeah, we left, we left Australia out. That's, that's important Australia. for me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do another one and talk about Australia. But Definitely. for now, yeah, I would like to thank you again for being with us today. Anything more you would like to, to say before we wrap this up? Oh, I'd just like to say it was, it was great to have a conversation with you. I'm always happy to talk about photography. And um, yeah, thanks, thanks for inviting me along. You're welcome. So take care. Goodbye. You too. You take care. You will.